0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz. And yes, indeed, this is the conservative review podcast. No soap opera zone here at the one and only independent conservative source of real conservative news and views that matters to your everyday lives as taxpayers. As peaceful Americans that don't want to be subsidized, don't want to be regulated, don't want government in your hair, but want government to do its core job. Safety, security, sovereignty, keep the proper separation of powers, all the things that government doesn't do. Um, It is Thursday, January 16th, ahead of a very busy week that's going to be all about impeachment. And not about anything important. So before everything gets lost in the news cycle, I want to continue on the non-impeachment news that you won't hear elsewhere. So yesterday, we had a presentation. Um, It was a unique show in the sense that we delved deep into the refugee resettlement program. What matters more to your lives than the future orientation of your communities, your neighborhoods, your local schools? That's everything. Nothing intersects with that more, and as we explained in a negative way, than refugee resettlement in its broken form um, that it's practiced today. We had a lot of evidence we presented on how broken it is. Maybe some people would disagree with me. But the point is, this is an important debate to have. Yet the minute I got off from recording the show, got off the air, Went back to my computer, I saw that during the show, a Maryland judge had placed an injunction on Trump's policy allowing states like Texas to opt out or require states to opt in to refugee resettlement. So, you know, we, we could sit and spend an hour debating our side. Maybe some people will say their side, why they want to transform their communities into Somali clan wars. But this is a very important debate that needs to occur in the democratic process. And yet, somehow, so many in this country and everyone in the political system is brainwashed to thinking that any judge at any time could grab any issue affecting the whole of the people, not like an individual civil or criminal case affecting a person, but take an abstract national policy how many refugees, what type, what type of immigration, what type of marriage, abortion policies, election law policies, and just flick his wrist, and that is the law of the land, irrespective of the statute, irrespective of history and tradition, irrespective of the Constitution, irrespective of the consequences, and even irrespective of prior Supreme Court precedent. If at that moment, at that time, a district judge flatulates that's it he put an injunction an injunction as if it's like a presidential veto that that vitiates that shreds
1: a policy that's what people are brainwashed about and you know there's been a barrage of these rulings
0: yesterday judge sabra is back the southern district of california the same judge who spawned the entire border invasion beginning in 20, uh, summer of 2018, by basically creating a right to come here with a kid and not be separated or be prosecuted and not be sent back but be released together. He ordered the, you know, those that are in the MPP program, that's the Migration um, Policy Protocols, the so-called Return to Mexico Policy, where the administration finally turned the corner and started ending this, said that they're entitled to more attorneys, I didn't even go through the case yet. And remember, this is on something the Supreme Court just upheld. Again, not that a Supreme Court or any court could uphold anything as a, and, and strike things down, but I'm just using their language. I know we talked about this Friday, but we really need to talk about this every week. Because as I said, nothing matters until this issue is settled. Our entire government is predicated. On the premise that we have three coordinate, equal, independent branches of government, albeit with the judiciary being the weakest branch of government because it's unelected. Meaning the judiciary only intersects with individuals at an individual level to grant relief or adjudicate a case or a controversy. But in terms of setting national policy, they were to have very little, if any, influence much less veto power over it yet that's what has happened that's what everyone is accepting and as we really noted very thoroughly on friday you could bean count all the judges trump is appointing all you want but if the other 70 percent are bad And the left is able to go to anyone at any time and they could illegally adjudicate a case, even when statute strips them of jurisdiction to even hear the case. And they'll do it anyway. And and the executive branch and the legislative branches continue to indulge that and give effect to it and not push back against
1: it. Well, guess what? Nothing matters. Nothing we discuss matters. The elections don't matter. All
0: these things the red states are doing, most of them are a bunch of leftists. But, you know, there's a few Republican-oriented things that some of the red state legislatures and governors are doing.
1: Every one of them. You know, just just last week, a court in Missouri said they can't enforce
0: their uh, photo ID law. I'm talking about civilization-killing issues that will not just affect our culture, our politics, our policy, our country, but will affect the ability of so-called Republicans to even get elected. Once you agree that any court, any time, any way, on any issue, at that moment is the final arbiter, we may as well just go home. There's nothing more to debate. This entire political thing, this industry of everyone fighting on cable news and talking about politics, is is irrelevant until we get to the bottom of this issue so I, what I want to focus on today is this supposedly the legend goes i don't know if it's true or not but a woman asked benjamin franklin outside of philadelphia outside the convention the constitutional convention what sort of government is it
1: that you have given us and the good doctor reportedly replied a republic if you can keep it Okay. That's what he told them. I'm here to tell you what we have today is a
0: dictatorship of judges if we allow it. And we don't
1: have to allow it. We don't have to allow it. President Trump tweeted out earlier today,
0: um, now up to 187 federal judges and two great new supreme court justices we are in a major record territory hope everyone is happy i don't blame the president for taking credit for that and pushing that but as we noted on friday politics is a art it's not a math it's not bean counting and you could count all the judges you're appointing all you want but the left is still winning because the left has adapted with this one-way ratchet forum shopping nationwide injunction even after we already won the first round in the, in the, in the courts in the Supreme court.
1: If they are going to agree to it, there's nothing we can do. If we allow it, what do I mean by we
0: allowing it? I, I get asked the question, Daniel, a, a judge just put an injunction. What, what could we do? And it's like, if I came from Mars and didn't know better, I would think there's something called an injunction that, you know, has like an electronic lever and it like puts handcuffs on the president or it 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 rips up a certain uh, statute or or ties the hands of the Justice Department or there's something about it. it. This is a silly question. It's the opposite. The question everyone should be asking is what can a judge do to stop the other branches? And the answer is nothing. And the founder said that. And that is, not a bug in the system,
1: it's a feature of the system As I noted, even when
0: the judiciary is exercising a valid
1: expression of judicial power, a valid use of it. Guess what? They don't have the power to enforce it. In other
0: words, even when they absolutely have standing and the guy's absolutely right on the merits of the
1: ruling. At the end of the day, they don't have a police force. They don't have the power of the purse. They have nothing. Let's
0: talk about what a real case would be. A real case would be a real citizen that the executive branch, either of a state or of the federal government, maybe unilaterally, maybe buttressed by a legislative statute, is taking action against that citizen, doing a positive on his negative state of being. In other words, fining me, putting me in jail, taking away my life and liberty, and I'm not a criminal, I didn't do anything wrong, and they, they did it totally wrongly. In other, words, in other words, what's going on with guns in so many states? The Constitution says, shall not be infringed. They are not allowing me, they're criminalizing my exercising of an unambiguous right i have the right to go to a court and the court has a right not the court doesn't put an injunction or i mean it could put an injunction but an injunction doesn't have the uh, power of a veto it's a veto the power It just i'm able to say look i don't have to go to jail a judge said i don't have to so i'm gonna go doing continue doing what i want to do and the judge would be right in that case It's an individualized case affecting me in the most foundational sense, taking away my liberty, throwing me in jail. He has the right to say, I am not going to give effect to that policy and I will not convict you. Now, even then, you rely on the executive branch to give effect to that because at the end of the day, they have the police force. If they want to, they could throw you in jail. but. No, I mean, the idea is that you would listen to that court. But even then, they don't have it. They technically don't have the power. But for a judge to start granting standing to nonprofit groups, to sue an abstract policy they're offended by, and then mandate, put a positive on the negative action of an executive. You, Greg Abbott, must take in refugees in Texas. You, Donald Trump, must give visas to these hypothetical people from Somalia. Well, that's executive power. That's not judicial power. There's no standing. Um, even if you were right on the merits that Trump overstepped his boundaries, which he didn't, you don't have the power to adjudicate that. That's not, you don't have a veto power. And you certainly don't have a positive legislative power to say, cough up visas. Start resettling these people in Amar- Amarillo, Texas. I mean, you could say it the same way I could say it, but it's 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 nothing. It doesn't get off the ground. This is what drives me nuts. So in this case, the judge said, who is this clown? It was a Clinton appointee. Peter J. Masit from Maryland. Of course, they go to Maryland. He said refugee resettlement activity should go forward as it developed for almost 40 years before Trump's executive order. It's like me saying Trump shall meet with me for brunch every Sunday morning. Trump shall pull soldiers out of Afghanistan because it's stupid what we're doing there. You could say if you want, It, it, it doesn't land. A judge simply has no power over that. He could he could suggest it. He
1: could run for office too and campaign and run ads saying he wants that. People forget. Hamilton discussed this. Where does judicial supremacy supremacism come from? So there was a fear
0: already back from the founding. Robert Yates and one of the anti-federalists in the pseudonym Brutus in the anti-federalist papers was concerned that basically the courts would wind up being what is happening today, not because that was the power given to them, but because he who lasts who laughs last laughs best. That's not his wording, but that's the way I'm kind of explaining it. In other words, in the process, the courts kind of come in at the end intersecting with individuals. So they were concerned that they would grant standing to plaintiffs. And if if that would necessarily require a certain constitutional interpretation and the courts would interpret it, like somehow their constitutional interpretation would prevail. Because they're, they're the ones that intersect with the, with the people, with the, the actual application of the law. That was the concern. And ultimately, that's what's happening today. But what Hamilton said is, this is not what we're doing. Everyone asked me about defying the courts.
1: There's nothing to defy. They don't have power to begin with. From the get-go, particularly when courts require
0: positive action from the executive, they have no force. And Hamilton said in Federalist 78, it requires, quote, aid
1: from the executive branch just to get on the map. What did he he say? Famous, famous quote. Famous quote. He said the judiciary would be the least dangerous branch. Why? Because the
0: court... And by the way, he was talking about the Supreme Court forgetting much less a lower court has, quote, neither force nor will, but merely judgment and must ultimately depend upon the aid of the executive arm for the efficacy of its judgments. So not like, oh, an executive branch could push back and defy it. It's more fundamental than that. What their ruling doesn't even register until and unless they give it effect. As 11th Circuit Judge William Pryor, he's a sitting judge, he once said, he wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal years ago, Hamilton's point was that we must depend upon the persuasiveness of our written opinions to command the respect of our fellow citizens. In that way, we have the foremost responsibility of safeguarding our independence.
1: Federalist 81, Hamilton continued along this line of thinking, and he called this fear predilection from Robert Yates of judicial supremacism,
0: quote, a phantom. And the reason was because he said the Supreme Court's comparative weakness compared to the other branches in, quote, its total incapacity to support its usurpations by force. Most of the Federalist papers, especially Madison, they're talking about concerns about how to check the legislature because they have most of the power. But they're like, dude, you're worried about the judiciary?
1: Maybe they will or will not try to usurp, but if they do, they have no way of affecting it. I always tell people what happens if a judge just decides, I'm going to turn the lights on in a
0: courthouse with no plaintiff? That's essentially what's happening now. There's straw men, fake plaintiffs, but let's just make it more vivid. No plaintiff, he sits there alone. And he gavels down an injunction. And let's say he writes a piece of paper that has a bunch of court, a bunch of curse words and pornography written on the paper. And then at the end of it, he says, the president's thing is enjoined nationwide.
1: (laughs) Does that have any effect? Literally, the ACLU just yesterday sued in court to and join
0: Trump's asylum agreement, his treaty with Guatemala to send El Salvadorans and Hondurans to Guatemala. Statute says, okay, AUSC 1158A3, no court shall have jurisdiction to review any asylum exemptions, determinations, of the DHS secretary under paragraph two, that that is part of a safe third country agreement that Trump forged with Guatemala in this case. And this is happening all the time. Expedited removal. Expedited removal that anyone here who cannot prove to the satisfaction of an ICE agent that he's been here for two years, he doesn't get his day in court. He is removed immediately without any hearing in front of an executive branch administrative judge, much less an Article 3 federal judge. The Congressional Research Service explains this bill passed unanimously by the Senate in 1996 and signed by Bill Clinton. That this includes any claims that an immigration officer improperly placed an alien in expedited removal. Challenges, challenges to an immigration officer's credible fear determination. Arguments challenging the procedures and policies implemented by DHS to expedite removal. And claims contesting the expedited removal order itself. So Trump says we're finally implementing the law. And they assume in court a bunch of judges are saying I, I, I put an injunction on it. The law prohibits it. Well, Daniel, Daniel, what do we do? do we defy it? What do you mean? The judge justified the law, except the difference is we have the power to not give it effect. He has no power. At some point, you got to do that. Again, I said this before. I'm not not naive to the fact that we've um, acceded to judicial supremacism for a number of decades and it's been etched in our political system. But only to a certain degree, there's got to be a point. So, for example, another egregious thing, and this is another example of why we're losing the courts. Um, at first, a district court, and then yesterday, the appeals court in the DC circuit, which is lost forever, by the way, second most important court in America, basically indicated that they're not going to allow Trump to revive the death penalty at a federal level. I mean, the Supreme Court, this was the 1978 decision. Now, granted, it was with the states, but the rationale should apply to the fed you know for a federal crime
1: think about this overnight a civilization issue death penalty lower courts are abolishing it for federal crimes crazy but nonetheless as i've said before
0: what is the executive branch seeking to do they're seeking to execute a particular individual that's the ultimate Positive action against a negative—it's immutable. You're taking away his life, now justifiably so, and the ruling is BS. And technically, you know they have no power to stop the execution, and they would be well within their rights doing it because it's following statute. But nonetheless, yeah, politically, you're not going to do that. But when when it's the opposite, a judge says, "Hey, cough up some visas." resettle refugees here bring in people to the border here like dude it's absurd is it that hard for the attorney general to give a speech citing chapter and verse why this is absurd why it's absurd for for third-party taxpayer funding or funded organizations to get standing to sue that they get
1: more funding and the people would totally understand it people would understand it it's that obvious. I don't understand what is so hard for people to understand. A court doesn't have a veto power. See, if the House
0: passes, let's say the House passes a bill and the Senate passes it and it goes to the president's desk. So the president in the Constitution was given a, a, a lever that has legal effect. it. it, it he could veto it and and the bill is gone it's as if it never was around it's it's struck
1: down it's gone the president has that power you know whatever he says he could do that he could do that traditionally the president has a
0: veto statement that he issues explaining his rationale he doesn't have to but let's say the president had a veto statement to follow my analogy writing curse words and pornography and then therefore i veto and he signs the veto is it effective of course right (laughs) that's his power whereas with the my case of the judge as william pryor says it's all based on the persuasiveness of your opinion but if on the face of it it's utter garbage and it's an utter usurpation not just of the law and constitution but even your own branches supreme court's precedent and there's no standing, then, like, yeah, I mean, it falls flat. Nothing happens. Because even when he's right, it doesn't have the effect of vetoing it. It's you gave a plaintiff, you know, you're able to carry a gun. You're able to have your property rights. You're able to not get harassed by the police.
1: But you can't mandate a positive action. What sort of relief are you giving the refugee groups? You get to lobby the
0: State Department to bring in however many Somalis you want and resettle them wherever it will.
1: No, I mean, you don't have that power. You can't legislate. That's not a bug. That's a feature. That's a feature. The same way, the same way Judicial review has its roots in the fact that
0: even though judges are unelected and can't legislate or or veto, but if an individual with valid standing before the court has a grievance that government is taking away a right, a judge has the responsibility not to give effect to that policy or even law When he believes it violates the Constitution. Now, mind you, he doesn't really have a way of implementing that, but at least in a written opinion, and I agree
1: to that. The same way the president, the attorney general, Congress, state governments,
0: they have the responsibility that if a federal judge orders something that's unconstitutional, they should not give it effect. And indeed,
1: it can't go anywhere if they don't give it effect. And that's what Hamilton said. Who believed in, in a robust judiciary. It's that obvious. Let me give you
0: let me give you an example, a vivid example to explain this. I know it's a little bit of a dense issue. But just um just this week, the Tennessee legislature passed a bill protecting Catholic adoption agencies or other religious adoption agencies that they don't have to take a child of no fault of his own and stick him with two mothers or two fathers, you know, without having, having a choice. Now, you know what's going to happen. Within three minutes, they're going to go to a federal judge in Tennessee, which they'll find. Trump could count all the judges he's appointing all he wants, but they'll get one. And it'll say, no, the Constitution says there's a right for, um, for individual citizens to force uh, kids to be
1: shoved into their homes that aren't um, a mother and a father. It's there in the Constitution,
0: right next to the clause that says there's an affirmative right to immigrate. You know it's going to happen.
1: So this is a perfect example. What are the courts seeking to do? Okay. I am going to ban adoption agencies. I'm going to, what, what does that mean? What sort of relief are you granting? So
0: typically it's going to be some sort of like ACLU organization. But let's say they have a plaintiff of Adam and Steve instead of Adam and Eve saying, oh, we're married and we want a kid. And we want this agency to give us a kid. So what what does the judge do? You're able to get a kid. I'm granting relief. Okay. But that would require the Tennessee governor to send out the state troopers and force this agency to do that. So the governor has a decision to make. Well, wait a minute. They are exercising their liberty. They have the right to do what they want. There is no such right. This is now emphatically protected on top of that by statute. I have to follow statute. So I'm just going to not send out, the, I'm not going to enforce it. It's not even so much defying it. That, that's if a, a judge says, I'm vacating a sentence, I'm vacating an imprisonment, I'm vacating a, I'm staying a, an execution, and a state or the feds would go and execute the guy anyway. That would be defying a court. Now, it might be justified. They might be right, but you could say that's defying. But it's the judges that are defying the law and the other branches. And in, in many of these examples, it's just passively, you're demanding that I take an action that
1: is against the Constitution or against law. I'm not going to do it. Say a judge mandates... Um, A state superintendent, a principal in a school must have
0: men, boys and and girls' bathrooms. And the guy's like, no, I'm I'm not doing that. It's ridiculous. No injunction. You have to. Well, what are you going to do? The the state troopers are going to come out and force me? State troopers are an arm of the executive branch of a state. The judiciary doesn't have a police force. And that's by design. The same way they could say, huh, we're not going to give effect. We're going to give individual plaintiffs positive rulings to say, you know, you have the right to say you have a judge, you know, allowing you to do this or whatever. We have a responsibility to tell the citizens. We are not going to send out the police to enforce their garbage. It, it works both ways. It's a circle. It has to be on an equal playing field. Otherwise, we have a judicial North Korea. We don't have three branches. I mean, listen to this.
1: This is what Madison said. I quote this all the time. All the time. That, um, where is this? I don't have the quote here, but in Federalist 44, he talks about if the government were to usurp power, right?
0: He says, quote, the success of the usurpation would depend, quote, in the first instance on the executive and judiciary departments which are expound and give effect to the legislative acts. Right, again, Madison was concerned about the legislature. Like, let's say a bunch of legislators, and, and you have this in a lot of blue states, saying, um, we're going to go and take away your right to own a gun. Okay? So, he was like, well, the other two branches need to push back. But what does he say? Quote, in the last resort, a remedy is what? What's the remedy? He used the word remedy. The people who can, by election of more faithful representatives, annul the acts of the usurpers. What do you mean? The courts have final say. No, notice the courts are one avenue, the executive branch are another, and ultimately, it's the people and elections. It's all of it. You push back against each other. You make the arguments. If it's a state versus federal thing, like on sanctuary cities, you make the argument why you're right. And you, you know, the people all are ultimately with public opinion, elections are going to decide that. But you can't tell me this finality on a public policy issue. There could be finality on an individual criminal case. But you can't have finality on on a, on a public policy because
1: that, that and, and coming exclusively from the unelected branch of government. That's tyranny. That's tyranny. Edward Bates. From Missouri,
0: he was the attorney general under Abraham Lincoln, served in Congress before and uh, he was attorney general. And this is when Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. I mean, he legitimately did violate the Constitution. Now, I think, you know. We'd look back on it and for the preservation of the union, assuming that it was a good thing in the end, uh, was worth it. But he talked about this and he said. These departments are are coordinate and co-equal, that is neither being sovereign. Each is independent in its sphere and not subordinate to the others, either of them or both of them together. We have three of these coordinate departments. Now, if we allow one of the three to determine the extent of its own powers and also the extent of the powers of the other two, that one can control the whole government and has, in fact, achieved the sovereignty. And that's what he was talking about. The courts under Samuel Chase. Originally, it was uh, Roger Taney with Dred Scott, but Samuel Chase with the habeas corpus cases. And when he talked about the founders, quote, adopted a plan of checks and balances, forming separate departments of government and giving to each department separate and limited powers. The founders had not accepted, quote to, quote, to create an arbiter, quote, to try to abjudge their conflicts and keep them within their respective bounds. They were left each independent and free to act out its own granted powers without any ordained legal superior possessing the power to revise and reverse the action. The three departments, mutually co-equal and independent, would keep each other within the pa- proper spheres by mutual antagonism. But instead of it, everyone was like, the federal courts, you are God. Well, that's tyranny, that's gotta stop.
1: It's gotta stop. I don't know any other way to express this. At some point, you gotta stop this.
0: Otherwise, nothing's going to matter. And and, and here's the deal. It's a one-way ratchet. The courts, it's it's not like the courts are so powerful. It's the courts are powerful when they agree with left-wing outcomes. Notice it's always the left wins. If it's states versus the feds, okay? So if it's abortion, gay marriage, election law, affirmative action, All sorts, I mean, everything. States are garbage. States are nothing, right? The feds could come in and crush them. Suddenly, right, they're all into the states. Daniel, look, it's unrealistic to have the states fight the federal government. Look, I mean, there's nothing you can do. The states are going to have to give in. Look, Daniel, I mean, this is just how it is. Okay. Then it comes to immigration. And I have an article out today. New York, literally, New York is just completely engaging in neo Confederacy. They, they are barring state officials, f- f- police forces, from working with the feds and saying that they are going to uh, strip them of their access to DMV records. Local police, that is, unless they certify that they're defying federal law. They're going to work to tip off illegal aliens. DMV within 72 hours will send out notices that the feds are looking for them. This is the article the today out with a 92-year-old woman who was raped and murdered by an illegal alien held five weeks ago by police on assault and weapons violations. ICE put a detainer on, and then now they're claiming they didn't even get it. ICE nailed them on the lie and published a copy of it on, and the date, the, the, the timestamp. Just parenthetically, you see from there the power of this issue. If you actually train fire on them, they suddenly get gun-shy. Republicans are stupid for not making this a bigger issue. But anyway, they're tipping them off. 8 U.S.C. 1373. State officials are restricted, uh, um, quote, a government entity or official from sending to or receiving from the Immigration Naturalization Service information regarding the citizenship or immigration status, lawful or unlawful of any individual. 1324 prohibits them from, quote, harboring, shielding shielding from detection concealing encouraging and inducing illegal immigration as well as engaging in quote a conspiracy to commit any of the preceding acts and aiding and abetting the commission of any of the preceding acts punishable by up to 10 years in prison suddenly oh there's nothing we can do 10th amendment
1: states states of power they don't do anything they don't they don't arrest them They don't do anything suddenly the states are powerful same thing with the courts Oh, Daniel, look, the
0: courts are everything. You can't, the court said it. Okay, so then you have the Heller decision. Do you know that blue states have passed more laws infringing upon the Second Amendment after Heller than before Heller? And it, nothing wrong. Oh, Daniel, states, there's nothing you can do. Notice the pattern. Heads the left wins, tails they win. And the reason is simple. It has nothing to do with federal power versus state power. It has nothing to do with the power of the judiciary versus other branches or the states. It has to do with the fact that Republicans don't believe in the Republican platform anywhere near the Democrats believe in the Democrat platform. The Democrats will fight for any issue by hook or by crook. If it's in the courts, they'll use the courts. If it's the other branches, they'll use them. If it's the states, they'll use them. If it's the feds, they'll use them. Whereas when the shoe is on the other foot, in any of those scenarios, Republicans are like, nothing we can do. I can't. When you believe in something, you could fight for it even when it's not that popular. Certainly when it's a 90-10 issue like
1: Sanctuary Cities, like refugee resettlement. That is the lesson. There's can't and there's won't. This is a won't. There's no, oh, I can't push back against the judiciary. Give me a break. The left does it all the time. All the time. What do you think the lower courts are doing to Supreme Court rulings? Yet somehow, the executive branch, the president, buttressed
0: by law, constitution, history, tradition and a recent supreme
1: court ruling as well as public opinion uh nothing we can do oh a court said there's nothing we can do the only way around it is to uh um is to go and amend the constitution no notice
0: madison said in federalist 44 Elect faithful representatives, throw, throw the bums out. Well, what do you mean? How do you throw the bums out if, you know, Roe v. Wade, Obergefell, the court said there's a right. So uh,
1: implicit in that was that the legislature could push back against it. That was obvious. Think about the gravity of what we're talking about today.
0: Does it matter to talk about anything else? Until this is resolved. This is the antecedent to every other political issue. We can't go on and have an intellectually honest political debate on any issue. If we are to believe
1: that any judge could do anything they want at any time. I don't even blame the judges anymore. I blame everyone else. Like I say all the time. If a
0: 300-pound professional boxer chooses to get beaten up by a 100-pound woman, well, she didn't beat you up. You gave aid to that, as Hamilton would say. You empowered that. You enforced that. You did it. Think about Ilan Omar. She's in the news a lot. Alexandria Cortez. They have no power. One individual member of Congress, what are they going to do? They talk a lot. They can't get their stuff enacted. But every day, federal judges that believe in what they believe in, and there are many of them, remember, you know, as many as Trump are appointing, there are at least several hundred federal judges that are literally on par with Elon Omar in terms of their views. So I tell Elon Omar, you know what? Let's say let's say a Democrat becomes president. And Democrats have control of the Senate and they could appoint judges now and confirm them. And I tell Illinois, Omer, you know what? What could you do as one member of Congress? Go and ask the new Democrat president to appoint you to be a federal
1: judge in Minnesota. Becomes judge, puts on a black robe. And, and we tell her, anything you
0: do, everything you ever wanted to do in the legislature that you couldn't do, you could do now. Okay? You could send out the memo to the Council on American-Islamic relations in Minnesota, to put a lawsuit in front of your court at any time on any issue and say that at least 100 members of Hamas and Hezbollah must be given visas every year. Trump cannot deny visas to Hamas members, right? The statute says you can't um, issue visas to those um in the usc 1182 you can't issue visas to those that are a part of a terrorist organization designated terrorist group she says hamas has the right to come into the country i don't blame her for doing that the fault is with us for saying oh well, injunction there's nothing we can do uh, maybe appeal it this is how stupid we've all become anyway i didn't mean to talk about this the whole time but that's what always happens there's a lot more on the plate um i haven't had time to have guests this week just because there's too much for us to go over but let me know if you have guest ideas you want me to have on the show at blaze um media um go to conservative reviews youtube page youtube page conservative review subscribe to our channel you'll um subscribe on itunes if you want to hear it uh just through audio but the video is important as well uh, we're gonna have our articles up at conservativereview.com. That's my website, and my email is dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Twitter is at rmconservative. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all,
1: and thanks for listening.